1: I took the phone call, I remember, I I took the phone call standing up, and when they told me, I I actually had to go sit down, because I felt lightheaded. I mean, that's, and and that was nothing compared to what I felt that weekend in Canton, when I actually had to get up and give my speech, and look out over the audience, and see Ray Nitschke, and Gail Sayers, and Bart Starr, and Otto Graham, and the greatest players that ever played, sitting there listening to me. Um, That was That's one of those moments in your life that you'll never forget.
0: From 94WIP, it's Wired This Way. The life stories of the top sports personalities in Philadelphia, the choices they've made, and how they've achieved their success. I'm Andrew Porter. Not many, if any, people in Philadelphia sports media are universally beloved. Ray Diddinger is... Ray is a writer, author, screenwriter, radio personality, TV analyst and a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. To call his life a success is an understatement, it's more like a dream come true. But how did all of it come to fruition? Well Ray really credits four people for getting his journey started and on the right track. His father, his grandfather, an English teacher named Mr. Mooney and most importantly maybe, a fifth-grade nun who helped discover his passion for writing. Here's Ray. I was uh, born in southwest Philly
1: and grew up there. Uh, We lived in a little apartment over top of a shoe store on Woodland Avenue, uh, a block from the bar that my grandfather owned. And uh, I spent uh, many of my days, even as a little kid, uh, in my grandfather's bar Listening to him and all of his patrons talk sports. And uh, that's where I sort of got my education uh, on what it meant to be a sports fan, and particularly what it meant to be a sports fan in Philadelphia.
0: And you were raised um, a lot of siblings, or no? No, I was an only child. The only child. Um, and you were close with your parents?
1: Very. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents, um, my dad was a WW2 vet, um, uh, was an engineer, uh, became a vice president of a steel company. and my mom was a homemaker. and uh, what I remember about my childhood and my time with them was what big sports fans they were, which I think had a lot to do with uh, uh, the way my life turned out. Uh, we would take um, our summer vacations uh, up at Hershey, Pennsylvania, where the Eagles had their training camp. My dad would get two weeks off from his job. and uh, while almost everybody else we knew took their summer vacations and they'd go down to Jersey Shore or they'd go up to the Poconos, uh, we drove to Hershey and spent two weeks watching the Eagles do two-a-days. That was <laughs> that was our summer vacation. Uh, and listen, it isn't as if my mother was going along unwillingly. My mother was every bit as big a fan as my father. Uh, and so I just grew up in that kind of a family. My grandfather owning the bar was a big sports fan. Uh, my grandmother was a big sports fan. I was just surrounded by big sports fans. And uh, they'd followed all the sports. They rooted for all the Philly teams, but especially the Eagles. So... Um, I just had a natural affinity for the Eagles, and uh, and grew up with uh, with people who kind of lived and died with them every Sunday. And you were raised in Folsom, Folsom, Delaware County, okay. Folsom, Ridley Township, Delaware County. We moved uh, from Southwest Philly out to uh, Ridley Township, Folsom, when I was just about ready to start school. So I was about seven years old, uh, and um, that was I went to Our Lady of Peace Grammar School, and then St. James High School.
0: And um did you play I, sports during this time? Uh, I played on? sports, yeah. But uh not football?
1: I, no. Uh I was not a, I, I, was, <laughs> I was by no means a varsity athlete. Uh I played like other kids played. Uh but um I graduated high school in sixty four and then went to Temple University. And um at that at that time, by the time I got to Temple, uh I really knew what I wanted to do. I, I really knew that I wanted to be a writer. Uh, and I knew that I, I wanted to write about sports if I could. Um, I felt like writing was the one thing that I could, I could do pretty well. Uh, it was certainly something I enjoyed, and I thought, well, okay, if this is what I'm going to do down the line, if this is what I'm going to do with my life, which is write, wouldn't it be great if I could write about something I really love, which was sports? So that was kind of the challenge, was trying to take uh, my, my desire to write and marry it with the opportunity to do it in the sports field. And I was lucky enough that, uh, that that all worked out for me.
0: How did you discover this passion for writing? Was that in high school? It
1: actually came earlier than that. Okay. Um, it actually came earlier than that. It, um, I remember really well. It was, uh, I was in fifth grade, and uh, we had uh, our nun was uh, Sister Claire Ursula, Sisters of St. Joseph. <laughs> and one day in class, she, uh, she gave us a, uh, an assignment in class that day. She said, write an essay about the person you most admire. And uh, so like everybody else, I'm just sitting at my desk. and I just started writing out this essay, turned it in, didn't think anything of it. And the next day, Sister Claire comes into class and she has all the papers in her hand and they're all marked and everything. And she says, uh, before I distribute, before I pass the, your papers back to you, I want to read one to you that uh, she said I thought was so extraordinary, I want to share it with the whole class. And she starts reading this essay aloud uh, and I'm just sitting there only half paying attention as usual. And all of a sudden, I hear about the third sentence. I start, I think, wait a minute, that's mine. <laughs> and she read through the whole thing. And uh, by the time she finished, all the kids in class were like looking around trying to figure out who it was that wrote it. And she said, that essay was written by Raymond Dittinger. Uh, and she said, Mr. Dittinger, you should be a writer, is what she said. So, I mean, that was the first time in my life that anybody ever told me I was good at something. Uh, and it made an impression. And from that point on, I started thinking, you know, maybe this is something I should pursue. So by the time I got to high school, I was pretty serious about it. I, I wrote for the student newspaper, got a little
0: experience. And well, then who was the person you admired?
1: My father. Okay. It was my father. Um, so by the time I got to college, by the time I got to high school, I wanted to... Uh, I, I signed up for the student newspaper, and I enjoyed writing for the student newspaper. I enjoyed seeing my byline. Uh, and then when it came time to pick a college, you know, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to go study journalism. And I looked at a lot of different schools. Uh, I looked at Marquette. I looked at Northwestern, uh, a little small school down south called Washington and Lee. Uh, but Temple was right up the road, you know, and, and I knew that they had a good program. And so I went to Temple. And when I got there, studied journalism, worked for the student newspaper, worked for the campus radio station, and um, got a a great education. And right out of that, I got into the business. And fifty years later, I'm still
0: there. What did your father um, did? Was he excited about your writing passion? Was he you know was he willing to you know did he like that you were doing sports writing? And your father and your grandfather, if he was around at the time, did that were they into that and they excited much about so. that?
1: Very much so. My family was very supportive of it. Um, my my dad, uh, I mean, he knew I wasn't going to follow in his footsteps. I mean, he was an engineer, and and he was very good in math and the sciences, and I was not. So there was no way, there was no way I was going to follow in his footsteps. Um, but um, he, he, I remember when I was in high school, uh, they had a career day or one of those parent teacher kind of days, and. And he came in and he went to my English teacher at the time, uh, Mr. Mooney, uh, and said to him, um, you know, Ray's interested in perhaps having a career in writing. Uh, you're his English teacher. What do you think? And Mr. Mooney said, I think he can do it. Uh, and um, for my dad, that was, that, was all, that was all the validation he needed. Uh, when he heard Mr. Mooney say, yeah, I think he can do this, then dad was OK with that. Um, and they knew that's what I loved. I mean, they knew that, the, uh, that, that it was something that I, I did enjoy doing. I, th- I kind of think it's an only child thing. I found out in all my years in the writing business, there's a, a disproportionate number of people who are writers that were only children, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I, I think if you're an only child, you spend a lot of time alone. Uh, I think you read more, uh, and there's just more solitude time. And solitude breeds that kind of creative thought, and, the, and just having the discipline and the time to, to just sit down and write something, which takes time. If you have brothers and sisters, they're all kind of tugging at you. There's noise in the house. There's always something going on. I think to develop the kind of reflective quality that you need to be a writer, I think you need some quiet, and you need some solitude, and you need some alone time. And uh, I definitely think that helped me. And, you know, my wife's a writer, and she was an only child. And, and you, when I meet people in the business— it's amazing when you talk about their background, they'll tell you they're an only child. I don't think that that's by accident. Now, when you asked about my grandfather, my grandfather continued to own the bar into his
0: 80s. And he uh, was living at this point when you're... And after, he was alive
1: yeah. and uh, still a big sports fan, and mm-hmm. he still was running, not just owning his bar, but working behind the behind the bar every day. Uh, and uh, when I started writing for the Philadelphia Bulletin, uh, my grandfather would clip out my story every day and paste it on the mirror behind the board <laughs> so so uh he uh, he yes when you ask was he into it he was he was fully into it because um people didn't have to buy the bullet in southwest philly they could just come in and read it on the mirror of my grandfather's bar
0: so going back to your time at temple it's you know you graduated in the late 60s football in, in america is now really you know becoming huge i guess what was your time like at temple in terms was it you know, you're writing a lot. You're working hard. Is it Was it that type of, of situation for you at Temple?
1: Yeah, because I did a lot of different things. I, I got involved in a lot of stuff. Um, I worked at the uh, Temple News. I was a sports air at the Temple News. I was the news director at the uh, WRTI, the campus radio station. Um, I got a job in the sports information office helping out Al Schreier, who was the sports information director then. And, um, and I also got a uh, part-time job at the Philadelphia Bulletin, uh, going in a couple nights a week, working as a clerk in the sports department, just taking scores over the phone and changing the paper in the wire service machine and doing odd jobs around the sports department. So I was doing a lot of different stuff than just to stay active and um, and just see if this is really the career that I wanted for myself. And really, by the time, geez, by the time I was in my sophomore year, I was fully committed that yeah, this is what I want to do. And I had a great time at Temple. I, you know, there were some terrific people there. Uh, Dick Weiss, now who's better known as Hoops Weiss, uh, was there at the same time I was there. We were both working at the Temple News together, and uh, there was and Jay Russell Pelts, who's now a uh, Hall of Fame boxing promoter, was one of the other journalism students, uh, and another one of the guys that worked at the uh, at the Temple News. And Ron Pollock, who's the son of Harvey Pollock, the Sixer stat man, we were all journalism students at Temple at the same time. So it was a it was a great group of guys, and I think our I think our, one guy's enthusiasm sort of fed the other guy's enthusiasm. I think we're all kind of good for each other uh, in a supportive way and also in a little bit of a competitive way. And by the, time, you know, by the time I got my junior, senior year, there was no question, this is what I wanted to do with
0: my life. Ray received his BS in communications in 1968 from Temple University, and right away he went to work. But without any experience, Ray was working, not in sports, but in everything else.
1: Well, when I graduated, um, I, I had been working at the Bulletin night mm-hmm. times. Right. Uh, and I talked to the sports editor, uh, a fellow named Jack Wilson, and said, well, I'm graduating in June. I'd love to come work here in the sports department. He said, well, number one, we don't have any openings right now for full time. He said, number two, I'll be honest with you. He said, I don't think you're ready for it yet. Uh, he said, "But I'd like to see you go work at a smaller paper, get some experience, develop your skills, and uh, and you'll be hearing from me. I'm going to be calling you." Uh, but he said, "I think you need to get some experience right now." So I got a job right out of college at the Delaware County Daily Times, which was then it, it used to be the Chester Times. Now it's the Delaware County Daily Times, and I they hired me uh, not in sports. Uh, they didn't have an opening in sports. They hired me to be a news reporter, so I went to the Delco Times and uh, covered news. I covered the police beat. Uh, I covered public transit. I covered borough council meetings. Did you Have
0: experience doing this, or you mm-hmm. were just kind of no? It, you were just
1: nothing. I got, they got thrown into on the it. Fly. Got thrown into it. Just you know, you, you come in, you're a news reporter. Well, one of my jobs was on my on my way to the office every day. I had to stop at the emergency re- ward at Crozier Chester Medical Center and read the overnight reports of what had come through the emergency room there wow. uh, and just see if there was any stories in there, if there were any shootings, knifings, that kind of stuff, anything that was in the overnight emergency report there that would suggest it was a news story worth following up on. Then I would go from Crozier Chester down to the Chester police office and I would go to the captain's office and I would sit in the captain's office and go through their overnight report and see if there's anything in there that was worth following up. And then I would go from there to the to the newspaper office, and then just start answering the phones and uh, taking calls from the correspondents about whatever had happened in their little borough that night, and uh, and go on from there. So it was. I mean, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I still wanted to be a sports writer, but it was great experience for me in uh, kind of learning how to be a reporter. And so you were enjoying it. I I. I'm not, BK. I wasn't enjoying it in the way I would have enjoyed covering baseball or right. in the way I would have enjoyed covering football. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing my name in the paper. I enjoyed uh, being a real working reporter. Um, I enjoyed that part of it. But I also recognized it was it a was very, very valuable experience. The, the toughest part of it, the, by far the toughest part of that job, was that time, 1968 into 69, uh, was really the worst of the Vietnam War. Uh, and uh, whenever there was a casualty in Delaware County if ever a Delaware County kid uh, was killed in Vietnam uh, the Delaware County Daily Times would send a reporter out to the house to interview the parents Uh, and I got that assignment a lot I mean we all no one person did it all but we all took our turn at it and that was about as tough a thing as I've ever done they would hand you the, the name and the address Of the family and you would have to go to the house and knock on the door uh, and ask the parents if you could come in and talk to them and 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 then when you were done interviewing them ask if if there was a picture you could take back to the office with you Um, that was that was maybe the hardest thing I've ever done um, to that, that was really hard I over the years after I became a sports writer People would often say, "Boy, it must be tough to have to go into a losing locker room." <laughs> and I said, "No, the toughest thing I've, I've already done. The toughest thing a reporter could ever do, and it's that—that's nothing compared to nothing compared to
0: that." At what point did you meet your wife, Maria?
1: We met when I went to work at the, at the Philadelphia Daily News. Okay, uh, this is a little bit later now. A little bit later, I—I I went from um, the Delaware County Daily Times. I was there for almost exactly one year. Uh, then I got hired by the Philadelphia Bulletin. By Jack Wilson. He he was good on his promise. He said, I'll be calling you. And he did uh, in the summer of 69.
0: Oh, wow. So about a year after you graduated. He... It was a
1: year after I, I was at the Delaware County Daily Times almost just about one year. And then Jack Wilson called and said, you know, are, are you ready to come work for the Bulletin? I said, yes. <laughs> I came to the Bulletin and and he, I did go right into the sports department and they had me covering high schools. So I covered high schools for one year. And then in 1970, they put me on the Eagles beat. So I started covering the NFL just one year later, I was only twenty-three, so I was at the Bulletin from nineteen sixty-nine to nineteen eighty, and in nineteen eighty, the Daily News hired me as a columnist, and I went to the Daily News, and that was where I met
0: Maria. How did How did you guys meet?
1: Uh, she was She was a cityside reporter. She was She was uh, covering politics. Uh, she was covering the mob, and she was covering. Uh, she was also the rest of the food and restaurant critic. So. Um, uh, she was always in the newsroom. I was often in the newsroom, and um, you know we just struck up a conversation. And then I asked her if she wanted to go out sometime, and so we did. And you know, in 1987, we wound up being married.
0: And then, so you worked for the Philadelphia Daily News until, you know, or, or all the way through. What it was 25 years you were there? Or? Not quite. I okay. I went
1: to the Daily News. Uh, I went to the Daily News in '80. Summer of 80. Mm -hmm. Um, I got there in August. And then, of course, that was the year the Phillies wound up winning the World Series. Pretty eventful. Uh, And then I was there until 96. And I got an opportunity to uh, go to work at NFL Films go to NFL Films and be a writer and a producer at NFL Films.
0: What was the transition like from the Bulletin to the Daily News? Was that a, a big jump or you were ready for that?
1: I guess I was ready for it. Uh, The hardest part of it was the emotional part of it, which was leaving a place that had really given you your first great opportunity, Uh, leaving people who had been mentors and very supportive of you, uh, and leaving them at a time of distress for them because those were the days when the bulletin was just getting ready to, the bulletin was sort of sinking and getting ready to, everybody knew it was only a matter of time before the bulletin was going to go out of business. And I didn't feel very good about leaving the Bulletin at that time, I kind of felt like I was being disloyal to a to a paper and to some people who had been very good to me. Uh, but I talked again. I talked to Jack Wilson, a sports editor, and he said, "Hey, look you 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 have to do what's right for you and your family." And so um, I took the job at the Daily News, and I knew it. I knew it was a good move. I knew. I knew it, was, it made all the sense in the world. The Bulletin uh, the Bulletin was failing fast. And as it turned out, it only stayed in business for like one more year. Uh, and I also knew that the Philadelphia Daily News had a great sports section, had a great tradition and a great history of being great sports section. And you had terrific writers. I mean, you had Stan Hockman and you had Bill Conlon and you had Phil Jasner and you had all of those guys there. So I was joining um, a winning lineup at the Philadelphia Daily News. So I felt good about that, but I felt kind of bad walking away from the bulletin in their time of need
0: and then the NFL films comes into play how did, how did that happen and how did who did who helped you get into that that avenue and how, how did that unravel
1: steve sable okay steve sable who's the head of nfl films he approached you yeah i had known steve from covering pro football since 1970 i and nfl films of course is based in the city so i i had met steve many times uh, we knew each other um, and in 1996, NFL Films launched a project that they called Football America. And it was, uh, oh, they were going to make a big movie about, they were going to try and tell the story of America through the game of football. So it's going to be all football stories from all over the country, little towns, big towns, uh, high schools, sandlots, uh, prison football. We were, the idea was to just t- tell the story of America through the game. It was a great idea, and I heard about it. And, um, my wife actually said to me, she said, that sounds like something that you would really love to do. And I said, yeah, I would. So that night at a reception, I said to Steve, I said, you know, that sounds like a great idea. I would, I'd love to be, I'd, you know, I'd I'd love to get involved. That's something I'd really love to get involved in is that kind of storytelling. So Steve said, would you like to? (laughs) And I said, well, I'm kind of working at the daily news right now. So we worked out a deal where, uh, he said, "I need a researcher who's going to go find those individual stories that are going to make up the movie." He said, "Do you think you could help us do that?" So I said, "Yeah, absolutely." So that was what—that ha- was how it began. It started with me being a sort of on a freelance basis, being a researcher to help develop the stories that ultimately would become the movie. But I was doing it while I was still working at the paper. So this went on for about a year, uh, where I was doing it on the side, more or less. And then about six, seven months into it, Steve called me in one day and he said, how are you enjoying this? And I said, I'm enjoying it a lot. I think the movie's really going to be good. Uh, And he said, how would you feel about leaving newspapers and coming to work here as a producer? And I had never really thought about that. But when the opportunity presented itself, I thought, man, if, if you love football, is there any better place in the world to work than NFL films? There's not. So uh, I said, let me think about it. And I talked to her with Maria. And it was a a hard choice because I was 50 years old. I had never made movies before. Uh, And it was a huge leap of faith. I mean, I could have taken this, could leave the daily news, go to work there and been a total failure. And then where do I turn? So it was not the kind of decision I could make on my own. I had to talk to my wife about it. And she said, hey, you got to do this. You know, if you say no, it's the kind of thing that three, four, five years from now, you're going to be sitting down saying, I wonder what would have happened if I had done that. So I said, you know what? You're right. So I called Steve and I said, I'm going to do it. I went to I went back to the Daily News, said I'm leaving. Uh, and that was hard to do again. It was hard because I knew I was taking a big risk. and I was also leaving a place that I, I really liked, with people I really liked. But I went to NFL Films and I just trusted my relationship with Steve. I trusted the company uh, and I felt like, Let me just give this the best shot that I can and see what happens. Well, the film turned out to be a a huge success. It won the Emmy Award that year as the best sports special. And uh, I went on, became a full-time member of NFL Films, and I stayed there for 13 seasons.
0: Accepting the job at NFL Films opened even more doors for Ray. He now had the flexibility to do TV, radio, and other projects he wanted to work on. And just like that, Ray was getting paid to talk about, write about, and analyze the Philadelphia Eagles. And soon after, the Pro Football Hall of Fame came knocking. Throughout my life, really, uh, and it
1: doesn't have a whole lot to do with me. A lot of it is just good fortune. Things have worked out for me timing-wise. And, you know, sports radio became a thing in the 80s. Uh, And when they started sports radio, uh, they needed people to put on the air. And they began bringing newspaper guys in uh and giving them the opportunity to do radio and that was how angelo cataldi came here that's how glenn macknow came here That's how al morgani came here uh and me too so that just came i never thought i'd be doing radio but i did and then right around the same time tv you know tv began branching out and taking print people taking people that were sports writers and putting them on the air so i got the opportunity to do that and comcast sports net was created and um uh, turned out that uh, I had an opportunity to go there and do that. So yeah, I mean, my my life and my career have taken um, some twists and turns that I never could have foreseen, but uh, they've all sort of come along at the right time, and I've enjoyed it. I, I really have enjoyed it. I mean, I thought 1968, when I got out of Temple, I figured I would spend my whole life writing for newspapers, and I'd be perfectly happy with it, because that's really all I ever wanted to do. But when all these other things came along and all these other opportunities came along and I had a chance to make movies and a chance to do radio and to do television, and while continuing to write, um, it's, been, it's been wonderful. I mean, it's been a really rich, full, rewarding life. I'm grateful for it. I, I never take it for granted. I never take it for granted. Uh, I mean, every single day I get up and I go about my job doing whatever it is I do and I always feel lucky to be doing what I'm doing. Because I know there are a lot of people in this world, they're just – my father once told me. My father didn't give me a lot of advice because he wasn't a, he wasn't a very verbal person. He didn't say a whole lot. But I remember way back when, um, and this was back in college, when I was talking about things I could do. And I said, I, you know, I could, I'd like to be a writer, but I don't know. It's it's iffy. It's a hard business. It's no guarantee of success. You know, maybe I could I could study law. I mean, there are other things I could possibly do. And my father said, no, he said, in this world, you can make a living doing anything. He said, but the fact of the matter is, the people who are happy are the people that are doing something they love. Uh, he said, do what you love. And it was it was it it couldn't have been more clear or more simple than that, but it was the best advice you could possibly get. What I loved was writing. And so I, I chose that, and I've never regretted it.
0: You were inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a writer, correct? Correct. Um, what year was that? That was 1998. 1998, and how did how did that change everything, if anything, for you?
1: Um, it didn't really change anything. It, it just surprised me uh, because I never really thought about being in the Pro Football <laughs> <laughs> Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, every every year, as part of the Pro each Hall of Fame class, there's always there, there's one writer and one broadcaster that are honored and are inducted along with the coaches and the players. And, I mean, I knew the guys that got in, and I voted in it. Um, I, I never really thought of myself in that category. At the, at the time that I went in in 98, I was by far the youngest guy that had ever gotten it. Um, for the most part, they were older guys, retired guys. Uh, in, in some cases, it was posthumous. A lot of the guys got in after they had passed. And I knew that I had been up. I knew that I had been a nominee three times, I believe. But I thought it was the kind of thing that probably was never going to happen, but if it was going to happen, it was going to happen years down the road. Uh, and so in 1998, when I got the phone call um, and they told me that uh, I was in, it was it was pretty overwhelming. I mean, it was it was kind of – I mean, I literally had to go sit down. Uh, I, I took the phone call. I remember I, was, I took the phone call standing up. And when they told me, I, I actually had to go sit down because I felt lightheaded. I mean, that's – and and that was nothing compared to what I felt that weekend in Canton when I actually had to get up and give my speech and look out over the audience and see Ray Nitschke and Gail Sayers and Bart Starr and Otto Graham and the greatest players that I'd ever played sitting there listening to me. Um, that was, that's one of those moments in your life that you'll never forget.
0: Glenn Mac now you guys have created a really cool partnership in in today's media where it's, 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 look, it's a fast paced media and mm-hmm. a lot going on and you guys have kind of slowed things down. And, um, how, how to talk about your relationship with Glenn, how that show derived and, and your, your guys work together. Yeah. Um,
1: it's very funny. We, I think people well been doing it together for a long time. I, I don't know exactly how many years, I think it's might be 16 years, which is a pretty long time. Um, and I think people often say, Oh, you guys must've been friends for a long time. And I, not really. I mean, I knew who Glenn was. Uh, he was, but he was working at the Inquirer while I was working at the Daily News. So we never really worked together on anything. In fact, if anything, we were competitors. But from being in the press box and being around, I mean, I knew who he was, and we knew each other to say hello to, but we were, never really had a relationship. But they created a show here called, and it, at the beginning it was called the Saturday Sports Page, and it was meant to be a Saturday show at the same time, 10 to 1, actually 10 to 2 then, and it was all sports writers, and it started out with um, me and Don McKee, who was then writing at the Enquirer. Uh, and then Don stopped doing it, and uh, they moved. They put Stan Hockman together with me, and uh, Stan and I had a partnership that we did it for a while, and it was great. But then Stan uh, bought a, a summer house down in Ventnor, <laughs> and uh, and he said. Uh, don't take this personally, but uh, if I'm going to spend my Saturdays with anybody, I'd rather spend them with Gloria than spend them with you. <laughs> so I fully understood. So Stan gave up the show, and then they put me with, uh, they said, how about if you, we want to keep the show going, how about if we put you with Glenn Mack now? I said, fine. And so we went together, and uh, it it just clicked right away. I mean, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a really good guy. He's really smart. Uh, and uh, and we just uh, we just were real comfortable with each other right from the beginning and uh, and over time I mean, we've now become very good friends, uh, very good friends. And you know people say that uh, they enjoy listening to the show because they just sense that there's such a wonderful chemistry between Glenn and I uh, a, a real we really like each other, we really respect each other. Uh, and I think that's true and, and I don't think chemistry in almost anything, but particularly in radio because it's such an intimate medium, is not something you can fake. It's either there or it's not. And I think anybody that listens to the show with Glenn and I knows that it's it's there and it's real. And I I really do enjoy I enjoy doing it so much, it's it's really almost like not working. And Glenn said the same thing. We I, When I get up on a Saturday or get up on a Sunday, I actually look forward to going in and doing a show together because every time we do it, it's I mean, it is a fun three hours, and the best part is people seem to enjoy it
0: you've done so much we we talked about you know the writing the tv the radio um when you look back what what time or what or what part of that was the most fun for you or do you do you guess like like do you have a moment that you can look back and say like i love to do that. Or, i love to write like was, was that your passion from the get-go or if you if
1: you yeah if you were to ask me to describe myself in one word uh i, I would say writer I still think of myself as a writer first, even though I've done a lot of other things and continue to do other things. I think of myself as a writer first.
0: Ray Dittinger is an award-winning pretty much everything. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's won the McCann Award, which is presented by the Pro Football's Writers of America in recognition of a long and distinguished reporting career. He's won six Emmys as a producer and writer for the NFL Films. He's authored 11 books, including the Eagles Encyclopedia. He's been on every media outlet talking about the Eagles. He currently hosts a radio station. He appears on TV. He's done it all. But throughout all of that, the most fun he's ever had was writing his play called Tommy and Me, a play about Tommy McDonald, Ray's boyhood hero, a play that recounts a time in Ray's life where he helps Tommy McDonald reach his goal of getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame.
1: I think the thing that I've had the, maybe the most fun with is, um, is the play, uh, is, is Tommy and Me, which is the play that I wrote about three years ago. And like a lot of these other things, I mean, I never thought I'd make movies, but I did. I never thought I'd do radio or TV, but I did. Uh, I certainly never thought I'd ever write a play, and I did uh, and I wrote this play about uh, my, my friendship with Tommy McDonald, which went back to those summers in Hershey when I would go with my parents to watch the Eagles in training camp, that I started out as a little kid who would chase after Tommy McDonald and ask if I could carry his helmet on his way to practice, and then later on in life developing a relationship with him as a sports writer and then trying to lead the effort to get him into the, the one thing he really wanted, which is to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um And then when he did, he asked me to be his presenter, and we actually got to share that day in Canton. It was just such an unusual story and such a uh, feel-good kind of story that I felt like I always wanted to tell it. I just didn't know quite what was the best way to tell it. So I, after a couple years of just thinking about it, I said, you know what, I think this could work as a play. And so I sat down and I decided to see. let's see if I can write a play. So I did, and I took it to the folks at Theater Exile. Uh, they liked the story. They put me together with, a, with another real playwright, a guy named Bruce Graham, who helped shape it and really make it into a coherent play. And then we actually got to bring it to the stage. And, uh, and the, the biggest thrill of the whole thing was the day that Tommy and his whole family came to see the play, that the, they were actually in the audience uh, to see the play and to see uh, how much they enjoyed it, how much he enjoyed it. Uh, and when it was over to see the ovation he got from the audience, um, to be able to give something like that back to your boyhood hero, you know, to be able, first of all, to be able to forge a relationship with a guy that was your boyhood hero, I mean, that's, that's remarkable enough. But then to be able to know that there's something in his life that he really wanted desperately, and you were able to help do that for him, and sort of close that circle. Um, that was really wonderful. I mean, if when I look back over my life, I've, there are few things in my life that give me more satisfaction than being in the theater that day and looking at his face, watching that play, and seeing how much he enjoyed it. That was really a wonderful experience.
0: Um, so you. Obviously, a big Eagles fan growing up when, when you're a, a child, you know, sports are everything. And as you get older, that starts to deteriorate little by little as you realize, you know, life happens and things happen. But and especially um, I've here and I've experienced it myself, you know, working in sports media, it starts to take the fan out of you a little bit. But but it, it never goes away. How, how did that relationship with you transition throughout your career? Have you always had that emotional tie to the Eagles or has that deteriorated at all?
1: No, it's um, it, it's sort of um, it now exists kind of on two levels. There, um, there. Um, I'm clearly a reporter, and I'm clearly a reporter and an analyst when I go to the games, uh, and and I can cover an Eagles game with total objectivity. Uh, when the game's over, I can I can come on and say they played great or they played terrible, uh, and it's. And to me, it's just a matter of being honest and doing my job. Uh, and that's been true ever since 1970 when I was put on the beat at the Philadelphia Bulletin uh, as the beat guy. I mean, you, in this city, with this fan base, as smart as these people are, you can't fool them. If you're the reporter and you're the guy that's out there covering the team, you can't sugarcoat what's a, what's a bad team. I mean, you, if, if you're going to survive here and have any respect among the fans or the people that follow the team, you have to be as, as honest as they are, and if things are bad, you have to say that they're bad. Um, and so I never had any trouble doing that. Now I preferred the good I preferred the good seasons to the bad ones, but I always called them honestly. But that doesn't mean that you ever really lose touch with that ten year old boy inside of you that uh, that was at the nineteen sixty championship game rooting for the Eagles to beat the Green Bay Packers. That that always remains, uh, and so. That, that sort of duality, I guess, has always been there inside of me. And uh, I think I brought some of it out. A lot of it had a, a, it had a lot to do with the writing of Tommy and me. Um, that Telling that whole story, which was very heartfelt, um, was, was a way of expressing a lot of those emotions. But then I felt it a lot, for sure, in Minnesota this year, watching the Eagles finally win a Super Bowl, because that was... Uh, i think i reacted to it the way almost so many of the fans reacted to it which was boy isn't this i wish my father could have been here to see this i wish my grandfather could have been here to see this because i know how much that meant to them um, i mean i loved it i enjoyed it tremendously but it was it was very much tied into what you relate to your experiences and your emotions as part of a family that grew up supporting that team and that never leaves you People think you kind of have to be one or the other. You kind of have to be a reporter, or you have to be a fan. That you can't be both. Um, and I think I'm proof that you can. I certainly think I'm a reporter. I certainly think I have no problems being critical when the team screws up. But by the same token, when they win, I think I feel as good as any as anybody else because I'm feeling it not just for me, but for the whole city and for uh, and for all the other people that I've kind of grown up I've grown up with.
0: Ray is married to Maria, who is also a writer. Their dog, Mac, is an English bulldog, and Ray and Maria are actively involved in Heaven Sent, a New Jersey nonprofit dedicated to the rescue and placement for adoptions of bulldogs. Ray and Maria have two children, Kathleen and David. David now works for NFL Films and famously shot the mic'd up clip of Nick Foles and Doug Peterson's. Philly special football and family—it's a way of life in Philadelphia, and Ray, of course, is no different. His love for the Eagles has spread to his children and now his grandchildren.
1: David is a cameraman for NFL Films. He is. Uh, uh, Did you drive
0: his passion for football like like your like your generations? Before oh yeah, you? for sure.
1: Yeah. yeah, for sure. He uh he actually out of high school he went to culinary school and he became a chef mm-hmm. and he was working very successfully as a chef for a long time. Uh, but he didn't like it. Uh, he likes sports. And when I went to work for NFL Films, he, he said to me, he said, Dad, he said, I'm, he said I, I really don't like the chef thing. He said, I, 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 I'm a sports guy. I'm like you. Is there any, are there any jobs at NFL Films? And I said, you know, uh, the only thing they got is a job in the shipping department right now. I mean, lowest rung on the ladder. He said, I'll take it. And so he came in and he, he did. He went to work in the shipping department, but he would go out on weekends with the camera crews and he went out with them to help handle the gear and haul the stuff cuz they always need extra hands to do that. But the whole time he was doing that, he was uh, learning from the cameraman. A couple of the cameramen sort of took him under their wing uh, and taught him how to shoot, how to shoot. And he l- developed the ability to be a cameraman and one thing led to another and he became a he became a full-time cameraman and now he's he's one of the best top cameramen that they've got. And in fact the The shot that everybody has seen a million times now since the Super Bowl, that sideline conversation between Doug Peterson and Nick Foles, where they're discussing whether they're going to run a Philly special with Nick Foles wearing the wire. My son David shot that. I mean, that, uh, and I told him, I said, hey, listen, that, you just made history because that, that piece of film is going to be played forever, you know, and, and every time it comes on, your grandchildren will be watching that knowing that you shot it. So yeah David's a cameraman for uh, NFL films and my and my daughter works in in human resources for uh, for her company and uh, they and we have four grandchildren. but David has two girls and Kathleen has two boys. and uh, luckily everybody lives close by. I mean, my daughter and son-in-law live in Upper Darby, and uh, my son David lives in South Jersey. So we're all here and we all get to spend a lot of time together.
0: And that Eagles fandom is woven throughout the family right Oh for sure
1: yeah oh for sure yeah. I mean, the a lot of people I heard a lot of people saw the Eagles the post game show after the Super Bowl when my son, who was at the game obviously, uh, came to our broadcast location, the NBC broadcast location, uh, and came on the set to give me a to give me a father son hug after the Eagles had won the Super Bowl and I was a little uncomfortable with it because it's not the kind of thing that I wanted to share publicly. Uh, I wasn't sure that it was the most professional thing I've ever done. Um, but when I got home, uh, the, the, the response I got in terms of phone calls and emails was overwhelming. People, people said that was next to the Eagles winning the game. That moment between you and your son was my favorite moment because what they said was we all felt that way. You know, in, in every living room in the Delaware Valley, somebody was hugging somebody. So what we were experiencing in the broadcast booth that night in Minneapolis was something we were sharing with a lot of people, and they felt like they were sharing it with us.
0: When you look back, is there any moment or anything that you would change or regret, or it's just kind of this is kind of your path and 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 you love it this way?
1: there's nothing I would change. Uh, i I've, no, there's nothing I would change. I, I feel um, I really feel blessed uh, that things have that things have gone the way they've gone. It's I feel extremely lucky uh, that I was able to do with my life exactly what I wanted to do uh, and do it in the city where I grew up. I mean, I, I would have loved to have had this career anywhere. I mean, if I had left here and gotten my first job in Chicago and spent the last 50 years doing this in Chicago, I would have felt very fulfilled because I was doing what I wanted to do or Dallas or New York or Los Angeles or any of those places. But to be able to do it here in Philadelphia writing about, talking about the teams that I I grew up with and doing it in a way that my whole family could kind of share it with me uh, has been incredibly wonderful and fulfilling. So no, I I have no regrets. Uh, I have only gratitude. Uh, And uh, people often ask, how much longer am I going to keep doing this? Because it's coming up on 50 years now.
0: Yeah, that was my next question. Doesn't seem like you're slowing down anytime soon.
1: No, no. I mean, I just finished writing another book, <laughs> <laughs> and the play is coming back again this year. So um, people often ask, you know, how, are, are you going to retire? Um, I may sometime, but I, I think I'm going to continue doing this as long as I enjoy
0: it. Did the success of the team, you know, boost that motivation a little bit? Um, it's funny
1: because when the, Eagles won, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl finally – the reaction I got from most people was, okay, now can, now, now, are you going to retire? As, as if I was only working long enough to see them actually win it. Uh, and that really had nothing to do with it. I mean, I was oh, the whole time I was hoping that I would get to see that. Uh, I, I wanted to be in some sort of a writing or broadcasting capacity when they want it. Uh, after all those years, I would have liked to have been able to share that. But that it isn't like I was holding on for that. Like a lot of people said, oh, I just wanted to live long enough to see them do it. Well, in my case, it wasn't just I wanted to work long enough to see them do it. Um, it was it was very nice. I mean, it was, it was nice to be able to actually have that experience and to be there that night. I mean, what a—I f- still remember doing that post-game show. It just, I mean, it just felt—it felt so magical that—I uh, mean, there were so many moments during that where— You found yourself. You were saying things about them having won the Super Bowl and having won the championship, and there was another voice inside your head saying, "Is this real?" I mean, I've never had that quite—that sort of an out-of-body experience to the point where you're actually doing something, and and there's another level of your consciousness that's questioning whether it's actually a dream. Uh, But I—I've heard people talk about that. That was the first time I ever experienced it was there, but no, um, it's for me, it's. I still enjoy what I'm doing. And as long as my, as long as my health remains fine uh, and I continue to enjoy doing what I'm doing, I think I'm going to continue.
0: Thanks again for listening to Wired This Way. Please subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Tweet me about the show at AND underscore Porter. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast, please email me at andrew.porter at entercom.com. That's E-N-T-E-R-C-O-M.com. And thanks again to Eric the Turtle Golden who helped produce the show.